Hello, everybody. Thank you again for um, tuning into uh, my podcast. I do appreciate it. And um, today I am joined by um, uh, Andy Huff of the Association of Professional Sales, the APS. Uh, he is the CEO. And um, yeah, Andy, thanks for joining. Really looking forward to it. Thank you. Good stuff. So um, over to you, I guess. Who, who are you? Um, what is the APS? And uh, yeah, let's take it from there, really. Um, so I've been a lifelong seller. I've worked in a number of companies, primarily through financial services and tech, uh, who eight years ago with a number of other individuals felt the point had come by which as sales wasn't represented as a profession and it didn't have a global body that was aligned to a standard such as the Privy Council standard and chartered standard that could uphold the good and, and champion where good sales was happening and allow people to align to standards and qualifications and demonstrate best practice that as there wasn't one, we, we should build one. And we've been on a quite interesting journey over eight years to create this global home that is recognized by government and industry alike uh, to allow people to take sales seriously uh, but also to plan their career and plan what they can learn through their career in terms of skills so that they can really differentiate themselves with their colleagues their employers and their prospects and customers fantastic and so if we kind of unpack if we unpack that a bit um, a bit further in terms of um, professionalizing sales, if you will. What 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 is the vision, or what does that look like? You know, now you know. Is this something that somebody can do now today, or are you still on this journey to get to kind of that end um, that end point? And what does that actually look like? Really fantastic question. So, the the, the impact that we've tried to get to is to put sales on parity with other professions. So I think two that are, can kind of contextualize where it is, is accounting, um, procurement, and, and then to a degree as well, being a pilot is, a, is also a good analogy that, to help give people an understanding. So if we take the former two, clearly they are professional bodies today for people practicing in other areas of business. And what we have been doing since 2015 is working with government. So the government recognized sales as a profession mm -hmm. because in 2015 they didn't. And then we've been working with government under the apprenticeship program to create formally recognized qualifications that qualify under the apprenticeships. And what we've actually got is a, uh, an A-level, a diploma, a um, post diploma so somewhere between a diploma and a degree for sales management a degree which we actually have currently a over a hundred students enrolling in each year and then we are just about to launch later in the year a master's in strategic sales leadership they all fit in the uk as a um, apprenticeship qualifying program Mm -hmm. Outside of the UK, we're working with academics uh, and academic institutions to replicate those, but uh, clearly we would have to work with local governments on what funding grants could be given. But outside of that, we also work with global organisations 
to help them create an academy to an academic standard and help them get their salespeople who want to go through that through the, a, a, a kind of really coherent learning strategy over a number of years, which engages their employees more, gives them a better experience, which flows through to a great experience for their customers, and then has impact on, on obviously clearly revenue. So on that journey, we, we've actually formed some partnerships with government, but we're also now Ofqual registered and governed by them. So we are an awarding body officially within our own right as well. Okay, fantastic. And is there in within kind of the world of, of sales? Is there anyone else that is that is doing this, or, or are you the um, <clears throat> you know the, the flag bearers, as it were, for for this? There, there's been a couple of bodies that have come and kind of waned out. Um, if you look at the organisations that we deal with, we now deal with fifty global brands from organisations such as Mars Wrigley, Royal Mail. Uh, will pay right the way through to RS components, uh, Total and Power. And so what we've been really working on, Alex, is to, to make sure that we have an ability to proliferate around the world with these global partners and run global programs. Our focus now is to uh, continue to open our presence around the world. So we have offices in Singapore, in Africa, in Senegal, we cover Europe out of London, but we will have offices in, in Europe. And we're just incorporating out of Houston in Texas with our partner Slumberger over there. So it, it's, you know, there's lots of training companies, but we're not training. We're about, you know, professionalism. We're about people owning their own learning and supporting those. And we have global platforms that allow people to engage in the largest uh, online sales content platform in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, and be accredited and do their professional ethics exams and be certified and start to portray these um, the, these kind of badges of capability and honor and, and, and professionalism to you know their future employer, their current employer, and their future and current customers. And you, you mentioned the, the different levels that um, uh, the, the students that's called that can can go through, but um, what are the kind of the, the, the basics that your basics or the more sophisticated stuff that you cover within that? Because some people might be sitting there going, well, sales are sales, right? I just pick up the phone, make a call. I send an email, I write a post on LinkedIn, I get a meeting, I sell them stuff, off we go. Yeah, I think that's a really great point. I mean, having been in sales all my life, I think the pendulum swung in lots of larger organizations to product and process, and mm -hmm. it's really abandoned the soft skill. Yeah, it's really also abandoned behavioural change. So, uh, yeah, I think it's all all very well recognised that actually you lose a lot of the impact and the knowledge acquired in a training intervention within ninety days. And yeah. That's why a lot of people continue to try and put training interventions together because when the you know the impact diminishes, they want to find something else that drives the impact and the energy back up. But what we've been doing through our research and our work with corporates is actually finding it's, it's a vocational way to actually learn. So how do you learn on the job? How do you bring in best practices? How do you reflect? How do you implement those things and skills? And how does a manager help them truly coach you through that process? And what happens is those things stick. Behaviors change. Things that you do with accounts and customers and prospecting change, and fundamentally, 
your your revenues go up as a consequence because you're doing things with customers in a different way to your competitors and in a different way to the ones that they expect and they then open the commode and want to have a value conversation with you as opposed to very many times you know being perceived as you know somebody who's going to come along and give me a quite poor experience and sell me something for selling me something steak yeah we see we see um uh, see a lot of that and um uh, you mentioned uh, the, for those that don't know you mentioned the the apprentice um scheme and the apprentice uh, levy which i you know based on conversations i have with people i think are still relatively unknown um as to what that is and what benefit that can bring to um organizations so would you mind just explaining that to anybody that doesn't actually understand uh, what is now an offer from government Brilliant. yeah so what there's always been apprenticeship programs and and up until five years ago maybe four years ago those apprenticeship programs were funding from the government for you to pay for an individual coming out of school who would then join your company and you would put them through a recognized apprenticeship. So an example would be electronical engineering or engineering or um, you know, something that we would see as you know, British Telecom would put people through apprenticeships you know, in, in telecoms. And it was perceived that that was perhaps not a program that was working particularly well there were some organizations that were using it as a way and a method of cheap labor. And so the government decided that they wanted to see more apprenticeships, but they wanted to be more rigid about how the money was spent. So they created a program by which 3%, um, sorry, 0.5% of your um, wages bill, if it was over a cap of three million, was automatically stopped at source, a, a bit like as we would experience as PAYE, it mm -hmm. stopped at source. And what they did is they then put that into a digital bank account for that employee, and then that employee can actually then spend that with a government-approved apprenticeship provider on a government-approved apprenticeship programme. And so a lot of the old-fashioned apprenticeship programs morphed into this new methodology, but you couldn't use it and you can't use it to pay people's wages. Mm -hmm. What we've done is we've uh, worked with government and industry and academics to actually make sure that we can actually do one for sales. So you have to go through quite a rigorous process that the government then accept that this is a valid apprenticeship. And then they set funding. So for a diploma, which is between 12 to 18 months, you can actually credit to each individual 6,000 of your levy. As you move forward into a degree, it's 7,000 a year, and it will be somewhere around 20,000 for the, 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 the masters. And what it means is that you can use some of this money that's digitally stopped and actually apply it to soft skill development of your either new hires or some of your existing uh, people as well. And, and that's really where there's a lack of um, true understanding because the government, quite rightly, in my opinion, do want to see people coming in from school and being given this opportunity. Mm -hmm. But there is an argument that if you're learning a new skill, well, why can't you be an apprentice who is 60? Yeah. Um, and we saw in a National Apprenticeship Week last week, there was a person who was a fisherman who was retraining as a dock worker at the age of 61 under an apprenticeship. So I think as long as it's ethically applied, yeah. I think it's a very good program. And for the first time ever, 
what that's allowed us to do is actually say that well is now in the united kingdom a degree in sales and we have people from bt aon and royal mail to name a few going through a three-year uh, apprenticeship program uh, with the aid of um, an organization facilitates that consalia but backed off to middlesex university and and an increasing number of universities will provide that going forward. Fantastic. <clears throat> so in short, there is potentially a pot of money for um, organisations to use to help um, train their salespeople. Yes, and, and, and one of the things that we do is we advise a lot of people is not to necessarily let the apprenticeship wag the dog. Yeah. So how do you weave apprenticeships through your own academy? Mm -hmm. How do you credit your own academy to the same internal standard, which we can help you do back by Ofqual, providing a consistent experience and journey and opportunity for everybody to learn. And the great thing is, is then actually finding out those people who don't have growth mindset, those people who do believe that they've, you know, as you said earlier up, sales is sales, I just pick up a phone. Well, <laughs> yeah, if, if that's, that's why, why are only 38% of people hitting goal? There's a few reasons for that, but predominantly we're not as successful as we would like to be as salespeople because we are not looking at the issues around, you know, how we prepare, how we plan, how we manage accounts, how we interact with people, how we use technology in that interaction. You know, and I know we have some very interesting and aligned conversations around that. There's a lot to think about in this modern world. And, and the, it's, it's not that easy these days. You know, yes, people can be lucky, but fundamentally, you know, you've got to start doing the, the planning and preparation. And that comes back to the conversation around pilots. Mm -hmm. you know, once you've acquired a certain level of, of, of capability and skill and you can apply that, you still have to maintain that. You still have to practice that. You still have to be able to understand the theories behind the advancements in what's going on. Uh, and that's why that's quite a good analogy as well, because very highly qualified people actually spend a lot of time practicing in simulators, looking at scenarios, reading up and actually looking at research, reading where other people have made mistakes. Uh, and why wouldn't salespeople be, you know, adopting that thought process and, and set of behaviors? Indeed, which um, actually segues very nicely into... Um, the, the, the next question around all of this and you've already touched on it you know i'm i've been in sales a while i'm i think i'm allowed to say not as long as you have <laughs> as you have andy um but what 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 has changed why aren't people hitting numbers and you, you've touched on that in quite in quite a kind of macro uh, a macro level but the world is changing rapidly but what is sales not doing that's keeping up with the changes that we're seeing I, th I think what's there's a number of different things that are happening within organizations. Um, so if I was to look at the, the mega trends that are affecting companies, you, there's, there's obviously globalization. So you combine that with another mega trend such as technology, what that fundamentally means is your competitors now could come from anywhere at any time. And with technology uh, more specifically the internet mm -hmm. a very small competitor can look a very viable option to you when your facade your shop window so to speak was always a representative seeing a customer physically mm -hmm. and your facade was a factory or an office 
uh, and a manufacturing plant. And so that that's caught people by you know by the hop. You know, we actually see that fundamentally as well that you've got a, a growing uh, organization now in the world where you've got lots of people adding services as, as small independent organizations. Yeah. So again, that's driving competition coming from anywhere. And I don't think people research that. I don't think people look at their marketplace and have a, a solid understanding of their position in the marketplace and the future of that by the areas in which they work. Yeah. I think the other things is that they, they don't look at technology and they don't actually implement that in corporate viewpoints that are additive to a sales force. Yeah. They tend to be replacements for um, processes that allow people to corral information, to corral people into common languages and common um, methodologies. And, and I think there's some good and bad to that. Uh, if you have a hundred people, clearly you don't want a hundred sales methodologies. You don't want a hundred sales definitions of the sales cycle, but it's not being done in a way that actually brings people on the journey. And it's not used where which individuals consider how they're going to use that technology for their own good, mm -hmm. as opposed to just being told how to use it. And an example of that is you know, after every meeting in the APS, we just record notes on our phones uh, hit transcribe and we have a voice recording and a transcribe recording that just gets attached to a CRM or a deal yeah. you can do that now in five minutes whereas a lot of what was considered typing and aggravation now can be done quite more quickly um, urbanization is an interesting one as well which is really driving the fact that people are gravitating towards these you know mega cities of the future mm -hmm. and that's going to present both an opportunity and a, and a a challenge to sales organizations because everyone's going to be more concentrated in one place. Therefore the competition is going to be concentrated in one place. Understanding of you is going to be more easily under, you know, accessible by your customers. And then the mega, mega one, in my opinion is consumerization. Yeah. Um, we are all consumers. It is one of those things you can proudly stand up in the I Spartacus moment and go, yes, I am. <laughs> but we don't, consider that actually because we're all consumers the the, the expectations we have are, are bleeding into business to business yeah. so yeah that's today is, is fascinating you know we, you know if you look at you know your expectation as a human being when you buy from amazon you expect transparency you expect openness of choice you expect personalization you expect speed you expect all of those things but in B2B world, those things just generally aren't there. And so that, that is also driving the buyers of this world to actually say, well, if you're going to sell to me, you've got to start thinking about how you're going to sell to me in the way that I default buy as a human being. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And it's, I, mean, I, was, I, was, um, I used Deliveroo and there was a you know, last, I think last, earlier this week or last week, um, it wasn't, it was saying it was going to arrive and wasn't arrived, wasn't arrived yet. It was still going to arrive. So I got on live chats and they just credited five quid to my account without me asking immediately going, really sorry, this happened. You still want the order. Here's five pounds anyway. And I was like, okay, cool. Um, no worries. And it's, and you, you picked, you know, words I've been listening to are things like you talked about growth mindsets, um, earlier consumerism, technology being additive. 
And that's very much what we see when we go into uh, organizations. Um, technology being used for technology's sake. No understanding of, is this just sitting on a, a crap process which isn't working? Or have they actually looked at that process and see what needs to change? And is it technology that supports that or is it a change in behavior? Because the existing technology stack may actually, um, may actually work. And then from the consumerism bit, again, it's fascinating when I sit in front of senior, le senior leaderships you know, across industry and go, right, name the sort of things that really annoy you. Um, dear insert name, or you click a link on a mobile device and it doesn't work properly, or the email is too difficult to read because the, the information is right towards the bottom. All these things are, annoy you, right? And I get nodding because you know we, we live in Amazon, we live in Deliveroo, exactly as you've you said. I then challenge them and say, well, why the hell are you talking to your customers and your, your prospective customers in this way? Because what you're doing worked 20 years ago, but it doesn't work today. And then you get this kind of like this, this nodding of agreement. And I was like, so, so, so what are you going to do about it? And then, you know, the minute you walk out of the room, they're just going to default to, um, well, it works. And I've got, you know, two, three, four years left and on the clock. And why should I upset the, um, uh, upset the apple cart so is you know i i i, and I know and i believe in terms of what the abs is doing we're trying to kind of help kind of shift this but what what needs to needs to happen is is it the the behavioral bit is it the technology bit is it the soft skill bit is there a, a single answer to this or is it a mix of things do you think uh, no no i don't think there is a single answer and and it's what's what I think, therefore, is great is a realization and a championing by the APS that sales is complex. You know, there are transactional sales, there are consumer sales, there are digital sales, mm -hmm. you know, which we would traditionally call flow. Yeah. Uh, and today, they are facilitated. Your example of delivery is brilliant. You know, fundamentally, you would have walked to the shop, you know, five years ago. Yeah. You'd have driven down, you know, you may have used technology in terms of you'd have rung them to place your order reading on a, you know, handwritten uh, or hand-printed uh, it was pushed through your door. Now you do it online, you've got so much more choice. But what's, uh, the interesting thing is, is under the old model, if you'd have been dissatisfied, fundamentally you would have been happy if they'd have given you some form of recompense and recognition of that and put the problem right yeah and that hasn't changed handling irritation handling objections handling things when things go wrong has been around for a for hundred years and it's been done badly and it's been done well by organizations and individuals what you have to look at is now using this technology or now using the modern world the principle of putting things right and overcoming objections or overcoming issues with customers hasn't gone away, but the way that you might do it and the way you might address it has. And so the principles of selling, we are not trying to change because they, they've been around for a long, long time. Yeah. It's the ability to say, where is it being done well and where is it being done badly? And how do you know it's been done well? Well, an independent body that is going to help you explain that to a customer if you meet a set of standards. And if you don't, then you won't get the branding and the qualifications and all the logos that go with it. So by, by definition, you don't get that help because you don't want to align or you haven't met them. Now, if you haven't met them, but you want to, that's our job to help you. That's our job to help you get there, learn, 
and develop and evidence those things. But if you don't want to per se, full stop, it's not for you, that's okay too. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, and we have to look at that. Um, so to your point around the, the things that I see that, you know, are continuing to change and therefore need to be addressed is we've got to step away and give ourselves an opportunity to understand what we need to learn as individuals within the sales context, mm-hmm. how we're going to do that. What part do we play in our own learning? How do we evidence that? What part does our manager play in that learning process? What part does our company play in that learning process? And what part does a, a body play in that learning process? And how, how, you know, how long over what period does it look like? And the key thing is as I go on that journey, how do I have enough time to reflect apply understand what worked understand what didn't work modify reflect and reapply and evidence and it's almost really alex right the way back to apprenticeships Mm -hmm. it's the same principle but it's not the same funding mechanism yeah it's vocational learning i learned on the job Mm -hmm. i applied this to my customer and i reflected and i think that's the big issue which is we're so busy being busy technology that drives everything at a pace that actually the big barrier for it is people getting off and spending some time thinking about this what we've seen is in these now structured and unstructured programs and government funded non-government programs is we've blown open one huge myth which is that everybody has to be in inverted commas, 100% of the time doing things for the customer. And where people are actually only doing things 80% of the time because the program dictates that they do spend one day a week learning and reflecting and applying and being coached and all of those things, those people doing far less theoretically with customers and with the company Mm -hmm. are actually growing their revenues by between seven to 16% more than the people that are theoretically doing a hundred to 120% of their time with customers and customer activities. So there's that really brilliant thing. We've been hijacked by pace. We've been hijacked by technology. And whilst those are important, it's really important to drive things forward. We don't learn, we don't reflect, we don't apply. So we don't change our behaviors. So we just keep stripping away all of the things that actually are really important when you're actually dealing with people, your customers, which is authenticity, ethics, understanding, communication, empathy, building of trust, which then allows you to start to uncover underappreciated needs, position value, navigate through stakeholders. Those are the things that actually get you to be successful. And you know this is this is you know, this isn't sales training. This is big change management, people management conversations. And as I'm sitting here listening to you um, talk so eloquently about this, and I think back to my time in in sales and in re- recruitment is where I uh, cut I cut my teeth. You know, we we were expendable. The sales team was expendable. We, we, we were cannon fodder. There'll be another you know, another body we could get on the seat just to you know churn the churn the numbers. 
So this this feels like as as much as this is a conversation with a sales director, chief revenue officer, etc. This is a board level conversation within organisations where the CEO themselves or equivalent of should be aware of this. Absolutely. So, so the, the three areas that we w- have worked with some consultants who've come in to help us understand about how we really refine our message um, are in two buckets, the, the cost of sale mm-hmm. and productivity, revenue. So if we then put three R's underneath that, which is recruitment, revenue and retention, that's where the board level needs to look at. So we've done work with US Parcel Service, or UPS, mm-hmm. where they have kind of researched and unpacked that the cost of an individual leaving is equal to their revenue. So that is the impact to you as a CEO and a CFO. So if you have 20% of your sales organization leaving per year, fundamentally what you're going to have to do is over quota because you've got that cost base, even if they're aware that actually they have that cost base. Yeah. So you over quota. That then leaves a really big issue in terms of, well, people then start to leave even quicker because they can't get to their earnings potential. They can't get to the things that they need. Mm-hmm. So it all starts to really kind of compel. And then you've got lots of people. You've got quite a high turnover. You can't recruit people because they know it's out there with organizations like Glassdoor, et cetera, going, don't walk over there they don't value you as an individual you don't get any brand out of this and then that actually affects revenue as well which is if you don't have the best people that are aligned to your organization and aligned to what you want and they're not applying the the soft skills they're just literally you know doing a a product and a play you know and they're pitching up and just saying stop me when you like one then that's going to affect your revenues as well so absolutely we spend a lot of time with people trying to unpack you know how many people are you losing each year how many would you like to retain how would you like to recruit people and show them that you can give them an investment in their own brand through a transferable sales skill transferable sales qualification which means that they'll stay with you maybe a year longer and then when they've gone off traveling they'll come back to you and they'll build your brand through Glassdoor and say, these people invested in me and it's worth going to this company. So you're absolutely right. These, these are not, as a modern professional body, we apply some of the principles that have been around for hundreds of years. You know, I was at the Fishmongers Hall this week. Mm-hmm. And you know, they have been, for many, for, since the 1200s, been working to actually apply standards to fisheries and to fishing and fishmongering. We're trying to do the same in sales. The slight difference is, is we have to do it in a modern world. Yeah. In a modern world, people will expect impact in a different way. Yeah. Therefore, you're right. It's the board level conversation to say things are going to have to change in future. Things are going to have to be thought about. Fantastic. So it sounds like, uh, to wrap up, that um, sales is is here, it's here to stay. Technology is, is of course, going to be part um, of that supporting, or I think using the word you said, uh, being additive uh, to that. And uh, that you are championing this as the APS to you know, really professionalize um, an organization, a skill. I mean, it is a skill. You know, I'm proud to call myself a, a, a salesman. 
Um, you know, where, where do you see this in 10 years time? Big question, I know. I think in 10 years time, um, we, will, we will be looking at all of these things in a more, a more informed fashion. Mm -hmm. And I think we will accept and be accepting more that sales, as you said, is not that hired gun part of your business. It's the vitally important link between you and your customers. It's the part that brings innovation to your services and your future R&D. It's the part that brings value to the economy through GDP. It's the part that you know, stops us worrying about you know, constantly discounting and starting to create real you know, you know, co-created value. Um, and I think it's also going to, therefore, as a consequence of that dip down into schools, which is our, our aim, and start to actually allow children to understand that they need commercial skills, they need sales skills, regardless of what industry or role they're going to go into. And it can start to inform academic agendas and curriculum to really you know, allow people to come in to these roles in an informed way, you know, still the case most people fall into sales. Yeah, I did. <laughs> 10 years time, hopefully people are making far more conscious decisions and choices and they see the career and they see their pathway of both learning and development and progression through that. It's, it's a great place where you can very clearly run almost part of your, your own business within an organization. So I think we'll see things as, um, far more informed and i think in 10 years time we'll be pivoting to a lot more understanding of what the research has showed us but that we've ignored but also actually starting to really look under the aps guidance into well, what is the future of sales and the um the key question came to me from uh, an organization yesterday a global um organization it's a FTSE 100 very well big household name I can't mention them but and the, the global head of HR just turned around and said we really want to do things with you we, we understand where you're going but actually what we can't do is we can't chase we can't be chasing this so how are you going to bring in the things that actually address the future and at the moment the future is all about AI the future is all about you know those things and and is that you know is that are um, going to replace salespeople and the answer is in the, in the APS's opinion is no. Good AI is going to improve things. Good AI is going to speed up things. It's going to take the burden away. Good technology is going to take the burden away from thing, from salespeople. And, and if we then combine that technology with a great learning where the individual innovates, you'll get transformation within the organization. And consequently, you'll get fantastic outcomes with customers. And, and so, yeah, the, the, I think the viewpoint is we'll, we'll look into the future and we'll start to be able to, to help people go, it really doesn't matter. Some of the principles won't change, but the context and the environment and how we do things um, will. But let's hold on to what we know will be realistic and then let's adapt it for what's actually impacting around us. Awesome. Thank you, and thank you again so much for uh, you know, giving up your um, your time to uh, uh, to come onto my podcast. I really do appreciate it. If people want to um, reach out to you, what's the best way? LinkedIn, the APS website directly. Um, I'll put links on this podcast at the end. Yeah, reach out to me on LinkedIn. Uh, any questions that people have, 
uh, you know, please come direct or, or go to our website and, and, and have a look around at some of the things that we've got going on there. Fantastic. Brilliant. And as ever to my audience, thank you very much for um, uh, tuning in, downloading, etc. I really do um, appreciate it. If there's anybody that you think I should be interviewing on this podcast or you yourself want to come on the podcast, um, you know where to find me. Uh, please do reach out. Otherwise, enjoy the rest of uh, your day, evening, morning, wherever around the world you are. But uh, thank you all very much. <laughs>